Good evening. It is Wednesday night, and uh, it is time for our podcast. Um, this is week five of our series on the, the prophecies about Jesus. And uh, it actually kind of, we're actually going to shift gears a little bit. We were talking about Jesus' ministry for a couple weeks now, and now we're going to talk more about uh, the prophecies about Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, if you've been keeping track, uh, we've covered 28 different prophecies about Jesus so far. And we are at number 29. We're going to talk about how Christ will be our Passover lamb. Um, a lot of people don't understand. I, I want to just kind of give a little background here why there has to be the shedding of blood. You see, if, and I got, got this explanation from Dr. James R. White, who's uh, with Alpha and Omega Ministries. He has done apologetics around the world. Uh, he's a Calvinist, so I don't agree with everything he teaches, but he's, he's definitely a godly man. And I appreciate everything that he has done for the cause of Christ over the last, well, 30 plus years. Um, if God is all love and has no justice, if there's no punishment for sin, then does he really love us? Because those that commit sin um, essentially get away with it. So that would be a God of love, but no justice, no um, no wrath. And the Bible says that he is holy and therefore does not like sin. But if God is all wrath and punishes everyone, then obviously then he's not a God of love. And so ultimately... The sacrificial system was a precursor to Jesus dying on the cross because he bore the punishment uh, and the sins of mankind. Now, of course, that's where Dr. White and I would disagree. Calvinists would say that Jesus died for the elect and only for the elect, um, whereas I, as more of a Armenian would say that Jesus died for the sins of the world and that it makes salvation possible that we need to repent of our sins and turn to Christ. Now that's a whole different podcast, but um, I do want to acknowledge the fact that there are different points of view out there. Uh, so... We are at number 29 on our list. Now, understand, I did get this list from the Jesus Film Project. Uh, it is online. Uh, all I'm doing is is taking it and reading it and uh, commenting on each one. So I didn't put this initial list together, and I can't take credit for it. 
Jesus will be our Passover lamb, number 29. The prophecy is uh, Exodus 12, verses 21 through 27. It says, Then Moses called for all the elders of of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass that when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, you shall keep this service, and it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Now the fulfillment is in 1 Corinthians 5.7. It says, Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new unleavened batch, just as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And he died on the cross. And we celebrate that death, burial, and resurrection every Easter. Which we celebrated Easter a couple weekends ago. Actually, it was a week ago Sunday. So, verse, th- oh, not verse three. Uh, prophecy number 30 on this list says, Like the Passover lamb, none of the Christ's bones will be broken. Prophecy is in Exodus twelve forty six, and it says, In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Now, it sounds like simple instructions during the Passover. But the fulfillment, obviously, once we see you know, Jesus on the cross, you can see that there's much more to the prophecy than that. The fulfillment's in John 19, verses 31 through 36. It says, Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross for the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who was seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. Now the importance of this prophecy goes back to what happens when a person is crucified. In order to catch a breath you have to push up with your legs. 
ultimately the person who's on the cross dies of uh, suffocation. They can't breathe. And so their body is being supported by their legs. In order to catch a breath, you have to push up with your legs. And it gets to a certain point where if a, if a person survives so many hours of being on a cross, that the Romans would break the person's legs so they couldn't push up and therefore they couldn't catch a breath and then ultimately they would, they would die. And the point of them being on the cross is it was a display. It was, if, if you cross us, if you question our authority, this is how what will happen to you. And so that the importance of his bones not being broken, the fact that uh, many times they the Romans had to break a person's leg in order to complete uh, the crucifixion in order to, for that person to die. The fact that in Jesus' case that did not happen uh, was no accident. It, it's, it's proof that what happened there was of God and that God had planned this out for hundreds of years. Uh, verse, or I should say, Prophecy 31. The Messiah's blood will be spilled for atonement. The prophecy is in Leviticus 17.11. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The fulfillment is in Matthew 26.28. And Jesus said, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. His shedding of the blood on the cross is what paid the way for us to have eternal life. Uh, it's, it's so incredibly important. I can't hammer this point home enough. Um, it would be like if I owed $10 million in debt. There's no way on my current salary that I could pay that off. Not in a year, not in 10 years, not in 100 years. But then all of a sudden, somebody walks up, hands me a check, and says, Here, I'm going to give you the money you need to pay this debt off. That would be absolutely amazing. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross for us. Number 32 says, Jesus will be lifted up and everyone who looks on him will live. Now, let me tell you the backstory behind this is that um, the people of Israel, they grumbled a lot. And I'm not saying we don't, but they did. You know, my life story's not in the Bible. <laughs> Let me take my uh, other phone here. 
And I will... Let's see here. The prophecy is in Numbers 21. So, let's go to Numbers 21. And... Okay. Here we are. Verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So here they are. They're grumbling and complaining about the manna that God is providing for them every day. I mean, they literally wake up in the morning, and there's manna on the outskirts of town, or their, their, of their tent city. And they go out, and they gather some manna for the day, and they have enough food to survive on for the, for the rest of the day. And so when, when Jesus said, you know, give us this day our daily bread, you know, this goes all the way back to the beginning. You know, God wants to provide for us. God wants to take care of us. But what did they, what did they do? They grumbled. And so there were a lot. God sent fiery serpents, Numbers 21.6, among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. And of course, they repent. They said, we've sinned. And the Lord told Moses in verse 8, he said, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So all they had to do was to look at this serpent. And verse 9 says, uh, so Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. So it was, if a serpent bit anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, if you've seen the uh, symbol for uh, certain medical organizations, use that as their symbol. It's a pole with the serpent on it. That's where this comes from. And so that... Lifting up of the serpent. I mean, all they had to do, literally, if they had been bitten, was to look at that bronze serpent and trust that if they do what God told them to do, that they would be made whole. And that's what we have to do, is to look to the cross. The fulfillment is in John 3. uh, Verses 14 through 18. And it says, As... And this is Moses talking to... Oh, not Moses. (laughs) This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And of course, we all know John 3.16. It's in the middle of this this section. Um, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I don't want to go into some diatribe about Calvinism, but that verse at the very end of 18, it says that the world might be saved. So, we have to look to the cross 
and trust in Jesus, the same way the people of Israel had to look at that bronze serpent in order to receive healing. So, that was number 32 on our list. Oh, verse, or I should say prophecy 33. Christ's resurrection prophesied. Oh, this is good. Um, the prophecy is in, jo- is in Job 19, verses 23 through 27. It says, Oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom shall I see for myself? And my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I love this passage because this is... um, uh, Hillsong did the song, My Redeemer Lives, um, several years ago. And a lot of people don't know that it came from uh, the book of Job. You know, Christ's resurrection was prophesied. And, he, and here's the interesting thing about Job, is that many scholars say that Job actually was a um, peer to uh, Abraham. That Job lived during the time of Abraham. So that would have put him like almost a thousand years before King David. So the story of Job is one of the older stories in the Bible. But yet, here, Job is making a prophetic statement that not only... um, Will he have a redeemer? But that redeemer lives. Now the fulfillment of this prophecy is in John chapter 5, verses 24 through 29. It says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. It shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil, to the resurrection of condemnation. So there's a lot of great religious teachers throughout the years. And I'm not going to say that they didn't do anything good. Uh, you know, the, the man who is known as the Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, you know, they all made a difference in this world. But when they died, their bodies are still in the ground. There's only one 
that has risen from the dead, and that's Jesus Christ. And I know that's not politically correct, and I know that's not... Um, it's offensive to some, but quite frankly, the Bible says that the cross is offensive to the world. And we don't need to worry about that. We just need to speak the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians 4.15, and trust in God. If you think the world is going to be uh, receptive to the message of the gospel, you are sadly mistaken. It's just not. Oh, yeah, here we are. Oh, I, I really wanted to talk about this one. In number 34, it says, The Messiah would be forsaken. The prophecy is in Psalm 22, verse 1. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, have you go why are you so far from helping me? And, why are the and from the words of my groaning? The fulfillment is in Matthew 27, verse 46. And um, by the way, I'm not claiming to be an, a scholar or an, an expert in Aramaic at all. Uh, I will say this: <sighs> uh, I have listened to enough audio Bibles to have a pretty decent understanding of how to pronounce these words. So here we are, Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I was thinking about this the other day, because one of the things in my past that I've had to deal with is that um, I've had to deal with a lot of rejection. Um, it might come to a complete, complete shock to some, but I wasn't exactly the uh, best-looking guy in high school. Um, in fact, it's kind of weird. I found out later that many people in my class were held back in kindergarten or first grade because the people and the higher-ups, and like the Board of Education, they looked at the population and they realized that the class that was going to graduate in 1991 I mean they projected this out you know 18 years they realized that there were there were it was a really small group compared to other classes that have gone through there and so they held some kids back on purpose because they wanted there to be enough kids to go through once we got to high school. Um, and you always noticed, especially the, the one time of the year that we all met together, which was a, um, they had like a rally for uh, a football game against our rivals. And uh, the, four, the, the four groups you know, the seniors, the juniors, the sophomores, and freshmen would all be together in the high school gym, and they'd have this kind of chant-off thing. And um, and we we noticed we noticed that we were the smallest class each time. And of course, for you know, conveniently, the seniors would win every year. But 
when we were seniors, we noticed that the, the classes that would come up behind us, the class of 92, the class of 93, class of 94, they, they had more people. And I forgot, I think either the juniors or the sophomores won the year that we were seniors. So we never actually won that thing. But now what happened when, you know, you've got guys that I'm in the same grade with, but um, many of them had been held back a year. So physically they were a year older than I was. Now, I mean, I'll, I'll be 48 next month. It doesn't matter a whole lot at this point. But when you're a late bloomer to begin with, as I was, um, and then you're a year younger than most of the guys also, it puts you at a significant disadvantage. Especially when you're looking for love. And uh, you didn't exactly do all that well. So I got turned on a lot. <laughs> Um, I know it's kind of weird. I'm comparing me being rejected by girls to what happened to Jesus on the cross, but it's like we have it in our mindset that it was like, well, if I'm nice to people, everybody's going to like me, and, and and no, not everybody's going to like you, and especially when you do what's right. There will be people that won't like you because you are exposing their deeds. You know, they can justify doing the wrong thing if you're also doing the wrong thing. You'll be like, see, I'm not the only one who does this. Everybody's doing it. No, everybody's not doing it. And so Jesus, he didn't just live out his religion like the Pharisees to look good and to, uh, you know, to put on a show. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, you got to do more than just not uh, kill people. You've got to not be angry at people. He said you've got to do more than just not commit adultery. You're not supposed to, to lust after women. And it was very challenging. And not everyone... Um, not everybody liked what he had to say. So the fact that he was forsaken, the fact that he was experienced rejection, is not a surprise. But here's the thing. If you have been rejected by others because of you have done the right thing, you're in good company. And you serve a Savior who understands what that feels like. That's pretty cool. You may be trying to make changes in your life. You may be wanting to do what's right. You may be trying to live by what the Bible says. There's going to be some people that will not like that at all. They want you to be your old self. But take heart and take 
And be encouraged that you serve a Savior that knows what it's like to be rejected and knows what that feels like. One more. It says here, and uh, we're at number 35, the Messiah would be scorned. The prophecy comes from Psalm 22, verse 8. It says, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. The fulfillment's in Matthew 27, verse 42 and 43. And it says, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. See, Jesus knew the big picture. Jesus was willing to experience that temporary pain to fulfill the permanent payment for our sins. We would not have eternal life if Jesus had come down from that cross. Because he was willing to endure that pain, that agony, that that temporary separation from God, He gave us eternal life. And for that, I am very grateful. Because I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to have eternal life. And I I don't even, I I don't deserve to be a minister. But he chose me. See, I'd have to look it up. There's a verse that talks about how God uses those that are not. Well, I brought it up. I might as well look it up. Let's end on this. Uh, There's a verse in the New Testament that talks about how God uses the things that... God shames the wise of this world. Hold on here. I'm not, um, I am definitely not sponsored by Takarta, but I have had this Bible app for years and I think it's great and I absolutely love it. And that's why I just typed in the word wise. Let's see. All right, 1 Corinthians 1. I love this verse. I got it highlighted here. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. God didn't take the smartest and the strongest and the the most athletic guy in the world to proclaim the gospel. He took an ordinary guy like me. And whatever gifts, talents, and abilities you have, God will use that for his glory if you let him. 
But ultimately, everything we do and everything we say should glorify Jesus because he is the one that we serve. It's not about us. It's about him. And when you go to help somebody, when you go to serve somebody, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He's talking to the sheep and the goats. He said, you know, whatever you did to the least of these things, you've done unto me. And then he told the goats, you know, whatever you didn't do to the least of these, you didn't do for me. Now, a lot of people would uh, open the door for the president of the United States if he came to your workplace. How about we do that for an ordinary person? How about we love the people that we're around on a consistent basis? And we do it to glorify Jesus. Anyway, I'm preaching now. Sorry. Uh, That's what I do. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for everyone who's been consistently listening to the podcast. I don't have the the biggest audience in the world, but I do have people that are uh, faithful, and I appreciate you. And God willing, the ministry will grow and uh, be able to encourage more and more people because ultimately what this is about is trying to encourage people to be like Jesus. So uh, next week we'll pick up at number 36. Uh, Until then, I hope you have a great week. Um, Don't forget to look on YouTube under James Paul White. I'll have more. I should have another video out in in a day or two. Uh, Until then, have a great week. Take care and God bless. Bye.